1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to launch into a series for these next eight weeks, and uh, we're going to focus on, um, I think, one of the most important principles in the Bible um, concerning the church. By the way, if you need an outline this morning, raise your hand. We want to get one into you. Oh, lots of them. Can I get somebody to help me back there? Uh, Laser, just grab a stack there and just start going around and handing them out. You say, did you say laser? Yes, I did. Every church has laser envy except ours, and we have our own laser, okay? See what I did there, Dave? Yeah, you got it. Some of you will get it later. It's really not that funny, but I don't know why. Anybody else need an outline? Very good. If you missed Sunday school, it's online, and uh, you can go back and check that. We're going through Jonah, the book of Jonah, and it's been a great study so far. The series we're going to talk through the next eight weeks is called Together Matters, and I want to address the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and the title of the message is Labor, Laboring Together. And I want to pick it up in, uh, in verse 1 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because I think it gives us a really good context. And uh, really, that's the most important thing. One of the most important things when you're reading the Bible is to make sure that you keep it in its context. If you pull it out of its context, you can make it say pretty much anything that you want it to say, but in its context, it says all that God intends it to say, and that's what we want. Uh, We're not here to listen to my opinion or your opinion. We're here to hear from God, amen? And when He speaks, we do well to listen and do our best to uh, to heed heed His word. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read several verses this morning, so put your reading glasses on, fasten your seatbelts. We're going to go down through verse 23. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, And I, this is Paul speaking, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. That word means fleshly. They're not acting in the Spirit of God. They're just acting carnally. They're acting the way they want to act, through their emotions, their affections, their own desires. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, uh, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God give the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man... If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work 
of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built upon thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is, what's the next word? Holy. What is it? For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Verse 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. And let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we do again want to come before your presence this morning only by the blood of Jesus Christ and say thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, we come before you now because we need to hear from you. And Lord, we want to hear from you. So I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty in our midst. I pray, Father, that the Word of God would have free course. And I pray that every need here, especially the spiritual needs, would be met. Lord, you know the burdens of these that are here. You know the trials of affliction. Lord, you know the decisions that need to be made. You know the path that needs to be followed. And I pray that as your Holy Spirit leads, that we would do just that. I pray that you would find us today humble. I pray that you would find us today clean in our heart, ready to receive the word of God on good ground. And I pray, God, that as you speak, that we would listen. And I pray that after we're done listening, that you would give us the faith and the courage to live out your will in this earth as it's done in heaven. I pray, God, that you'd use me today. I ask for your help. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and help me to get out of your way so that I could be used as a vessel. And Lord, I promise to give you all the glory and honor for it. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for these people that are here today. Thank you for those that are listening today online. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. One of the most powerful and promising words found in the English language is the word together. Together means you're not alone. Together means that You're not the only one, there's always more than one. Together means a group or collection of people in relation and association, normally unified uh, unified often in action. You could say it this way, things are always better together. I remember years ago, the first time my wife and I got to go to Hawaii, it was because somebody gave us their timeshare, and so we decided to make a trip of it and and, uh, take Ashley on her senior trip that year to Maui. And uh, I remember when we went there, it was uh, amazing. We had so much fun and experienced so many different things, had a, so, much, uh, so much food as normally vacations are filled with. And, and uh, we had such a good time. We really wanted our entire family to experience it with us. And so when the time came that all of us could finally go, um, we went. It was even better than the first time. Um, what, what made it so much better? To us, it was because we were all together. We were all together experiencing all that we had already experienced and some new things. We prepared for the trip together. We talked about 
what we were going to do together, what we wanted to do together, and where we wanted to eat together. And that trip, honestly, was one of the best vacations we've ever been on, mostly because of all of the things that we got to do together. We wanted all of our family to experience the same thing, and that was never going to happen unless we were all doing the same thing for the same reason, and we all did it together. One of the most overlooked and yet important words in the Bible is that same word, together. You'll find it mentioned about 79 different times in the New Testament alone. But the most powerful times that it's mentioned have to do with new believers being assembled together, or the disciples and the churches assembled together, or how the Lord used them when they were all together, or what it means to be together with Jesus Christ in the Beloved. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, the Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now remember, that chapter and verse is two chapters before this one. So at the very outset of this book, Paul is trying to get this church to be what they are not together. He wants the blessing of God on this church, but he understands it's not going to happen if they're not together. He wants God to use them, and he knows that that's not going to happen if they're not together. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 gives us an example of what can happen when a church is actually together. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. You see, that's the goal. The goal is not just gathering a crowd of people. The goal is not filling the seats necessarily. But God knows the power and the blessing of being together. When there are people who are not going through something alone, when there are people who are not serving alone, when there are people who are not just assembled together, but they are acting together as one should be as a church. Truly, it's Jesus Christ that brings us together. Amen? It's Jesus that brings us together. And over the next eight weeks as your pastor, I've asked God to help me to prepare you as much as I possibly can for this upcoming transition And that how together we can watch how God will work all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So here in our text, this church is being torn apart. It's very apparent in the first few verses in chapter 3 that the devil is having his way. And really, even if the devil didn't have anything to do with it, they're doing a pretty good job on their own selves. They've all decided that they're going to get in their own cliques. The Bible word is factions. This for divisions and sects is, has to do with, uh, with factions and cliques. The Corinthian church was severely divided. The division here described in the Bible was focused primarily upon the former preachers of the church. Paul, Peter, and Apollos. The ministers themselves were not involved in any of this. They weren't going around trying to get people to think that, say, just make sure that when you're together after I leave, that you tell everybody that I'm your favorite apostle or that I'm your favorite preacher. That's not what they were involved in. They didn't have anything to do with it. Instead, it was the carnal believers in the church, the believers who were acting fleshly that were causing the problems. Some liked Peter. Some liked his preaching better and felt that he was doing more for the Lord. Others felt the same thing about Paul. Others felt the same thing about Apollos. 
And yet God gives us this passage this morning because of our nature. Look, it's natural to be drawn necessarily to a personality more than another personality. That's natural. But that natural thing is what was tearing this church apart. The carnal mind is enmity with God. And when you take that word for what it is and you put it in the context of the church at Corinth, what was, what was dividing the church? The flesh. People's own paradigms of what should be and what shouldn't be. And so this morning I want us to notice three essential images that come into clear view from this passage. And then once those images are in focus, we'll make some applications. So it will be the church, the ministers, and the people. First of all, number one, let's look at the church. As it comes into focus, the Bible clearly tells us that the church is actually the temple of God. The church is the temple of God. Now, if there was ever a mystery to the Old Testament prophets, it was concerning this thing called the church and how God was planning on using it. But to the New Testament believer, believers, it was no mystery. In fact, the body of Christ was the most important thing. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. What an amazing passage that gives the value and the foundational truth that's necessary for this world. And he places it in the church of the living God. Now, as we go through this passage, we learn a lot about the church. We learn that it's called the temple of God, and we learn several things. First of all, letter A, that it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. As John so eloquently reminded us last Sunday afternoon, this church, like every other church, belongs to Jesus. Amen. Look down in verse 9, what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are are God's building. And don't ever forget the price that was paid for us to be purchased as that building. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, as Paul wrote and spoke to preachers at Ephesus, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, listen, which he hath purchased with his own blood by right the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The temple belongs to the Lord. Secondly, it not only belongs to him, it's built by the Lord Jesus. At the very first few verses, the Bible tells us about this factions becoming about ministers and, and all these things. And in verse 4, talks about Paul and Apollos. Are you not carnal? And, and we're just ministers. Look at verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered. But listen, but God gave the increase. And then, and, 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 and notice the fact is, if it's going to be built, it has to be built by God or it's not going to be built at all. The Bible says in Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. This became a recurring theme, by the way. This would be the norm throughout the book of Acts in the first few centuries after the resurrection of our Savior Jesus because Jesus said it was going to be that way. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, but upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. Do you get it? Because it's mine, I'm going to build it. Because it's mine, no weapon of hell is going to be formed against it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Which tells you not only that it has value to God, but it's a detriment to Satan. A church 
lit on fire by the Holy Spirit of God together going forward is a foe to be reckoned with and Satan will do anything to try to stop it. But Jesus said, that's okay. I've already got the victory over that guy. I've already rose again from the grave. I've already put him on a short lease. He knows that. And no matter what he does, he is no weapon or form or enemy that you can't handle because I am greater in you than he that is in the world. It belongs to the Lord. Now, as basic as that may sound, here's something that may not be very basic in the 21st century. Are you ready for this? Not only does the temple of God belong to the Lord and it's supposed to be built by the Lord or it's not going to be built, but thirdly, that temple is meant to be holy. As he goes down through this passage of Scripture and he says, listen, you guys are fighting and I want you to know something. You're fighting and you have this flesh in there, but I need to describe to you that what you are is a temple that you belong to me, and if you belong to me and you're my temple, you're supposed to be holy, not carnal. Verse 16, know ye not that ye, that's a plural word. He's not talking about we are laborers together. Now he's talking about ye. He was talking about we are laborers together. We'll explain that in a minute. But now he's talking to them, the church. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now he's talking about individual yous. Why? Because the individual yous make up the ye. It makes up the plural. It makes up the together. It makes up the church. Now notice verse 17. If any man defile, or that word means to destroy or spoil. If any man or woman despoil or defile the temple of God, him or her shall God destroy. Why? For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now let me say this. The temple in the Old Testament was devoted and consecrated to God and to God alone. And it was set apart from every common, everything common to a holy use. That means that you and I are set apart from the common, from whatever is outside of these walls today. And we're set aside for a use. But in order to be used like that, the temple has to be holy. Because God says, whose temple ye are. It can't get any more specific here. Yes, the Bible tells us that every individual is the temple of the Holy Ghost, but here it's not the individual in, in clear view. It's the church. It's the body of individuals that God says, listen, I want to set you aside to the immediate service of God. So all Christians are separated from common uses and set apart for God and his uses, we call that service. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations because it's written, be ye holy 
for I am holy. Do you understand that whatever belongs to God cannot be separated from the character of God? Do you understand that? For instance, we know from the Bible that God is holy. How many believe that? He, can, he cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. He never changes. He is holy. So we would say whatever belongs to God is holy. We say that the word of God is the holy word of God. Outside, it literally says, holy Bible. Why? Because it's not a book. It's God's book. And it's the book of all books. It's different from all of the other books. Why? Because God wrote that book. And you, as a child of God, cannot be separated from the character of God. Why? Because you are in Christ, who is God. And because God is holy, guess what? God says, here's what I expect of you. In every area of your life, I want you to be holy. Why? Because that's me. And when people come to the temple of God, I want them to see me, not you. Who are they seeing here? A whole bunch of different yous. People who were factioned over here and was in a clique over here and people were divided and, and crisscrossed divided. Why? All because of carnality. They were not wanting people to see Jesus in their temple. They were wanting people to see Paul or Apollos. Aren't we great because we have Cephas to come and preach for us and all of that. And God says, that doesn't matter. What matters is me and your mind. The temple of God is the assemblies of believers, the assembly of believers consecrated for the service of God. It all belongs to God. We belong to to God. Secondly, we see not just the temple of God in view, we see the ministers of God in view, and that ministers are God's tools. Ministers are God's tools. Now, I'm not very handy. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? I'm not handy when it comes to working on my car or truck. I'm not handy when it comes to working on my house, it scares me most times to work on stuff like that because I think I'm going to break it. Uh, there's no way I can do it. I'm not very handy. I'm really not. And I have some tools. I really do. For the longest time, uh, as a grown man married with children, I had the wimpiest little tool set ever. And I was like, no, I'm good. I don't need any more because I, I don't know what to do with it all. What am I going to, what's that? You know, I went over to my neighbor's house one time and I wanted to borrow his Ho, and he wasn't there. And so I asked his teenager, uh, I said, hey, I, I come over, your, your dad said I could come over and borrow his hoe. Do you know where that is? He goes, what is a hoe? I don't know what a hoe is. I said, well, it's like a spade. Yeah, I got nothing. I don't know what that is. And I was thinking to myself, you don't know what in the world, do you know what work is? You know what I mean? Do you know what a shovel is? Well, it's kind of like that, but it's bent over this way. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. And so he went and got it. Well, that's kind of the way I am when I look at tools. Why? Because I don't use them, right? So I'm not very handy. So, you know, I, when it comes to, you know, pat, patching little holes, I'm okay. Bigger ones, I'm like, look, let's just call a, dry, a drywall specialist because anything over an inch, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with, right? I can barely paint as it stands. I'm just not very handy. You're not supposed to laugh that far out loud. So I have some tools, and the tools that I have, I know how to use. And some tools, in fact, Chris, I think I still have a tool of yours that you gave me a long time ago. I need to remember to give that back to you. I don't even know what it's for. You gave it to me? I don't know what it's for. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. Um, so I, I may have tools that I don't know what to do with, but listen, God knows what to do with every one of his tools. So God is not interested in our opinion about the tools as much as he is interested 
in the one who's using the tool. Okay? Now watch. God makes it very clear in the passage that he uses ministers. That word is servants. We know that he uses pastors and teachers, okay, to build and to build up his building. It's very clear right in this passage. Go back to chapter 3 and look what it says. It says um, in verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. And then he says, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ. And now, now, all of this in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. So this isn't, this isn't Paul the novice going, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going to come in here and preach a little bit. And, you know, this is, this, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's a master builder. So when Paul comes in to preach and to disciple, he knows exactly what he's doing because God has taken the tool out of his bag. He's put it in Corinth and he said, now, this is what I want you to do. For 18 months, I want you to pour your heart, uh, my heart into your heart and your heart into them. I want you to take your hands. I want you to take your feet. I want you to take your life and manner of, of, of conversation and pour it into them. And I want you to build on that foundation of Jesus Christ. It's very clear from the context that Paul is a master builder and he's being used of God. But I want you to understand this about the ministers, okay? We're talking about the ministers of God, that they're tools. Letter A, there are different kinds of ministers. In the, in the text, in this chapter 3, he, he talks about the different ministers. As you read through the New Testament, it's amazing that you find a variety of different personalities, different backgrounds, all of the people of God that he uses to take the oversight of his building and husbandry. You find it from James to Paul to Peter to John to Philip. You see it in Apollos. It's all over the place. Even Timothy. All of this is all different, okay? Part of God's infinite plan is to use the difference in certain people to make a difference in other people. God says, look, I want to use the differences to make a difference in your life. And sometimes it requires a difference in order for us to hear and understand. How many times have we had preachers in this pulpit come in and preach something similar or the same as I perhaps have preached, but all of a sudden it gets unlocked? Why? Who knows except for the grace of God. But whatever it is, God says, I just want you to see there's a difference. Now, I got to be honest, in my immaturity, years and years ago, when I first started preaching, Brother Willette or Pastor Chapel or Dr. Getz would come in and he would preach something and man, the altars would be flooded and everybody would be, man, I'm right with God. This is awesome. And I was like, I just preached that like four months ago. Where was everybody then? Well, I'll tell you, they weren't where they were when Dr. Getz got here. And he used a different sound and a different, uh, different personality to bring out something that they were ready for, and there was a difference made. You see that? God uses differences to bring out a, a difference in us. Um, he used Moses differently than he did Joshua. Two completely different men, two different styles of leadership, and two different results. He used David differently than he did Solomon. Man, did David want to be used a certain way? Yes. And God said, no, I'm done with you. You don't get to build a temple. You don't get to have peace. You're a man of blood. You're a man of war. I've got something else planned for someone you know very well. His name is Solomon. 
And I want him to build the temple. I want him to live in peace. I want him to rule and reign. I want him to have the wisdom and all the riches that I can't give to you. By the way, the kingdom was different under under both of those men. Why? Because God uses different ministers. Secondly, there are different kinds of gifts. Not only different kinds of ministers, every minister has a different kind of gift. Just, Just listen. And, and some of you may get this from the names that I'm reading. Some of you may, may need to study a little bit. Barnabas was different from Paul. The Bible talks about Apollos. And then we know that Peter was vastly different from all of them. We know that John was vastly different from Peter. And Timothy all had differing gifts. Barnabas was an encourager. Paul's speech wasn't the best. He wasn't eloquent like Apollos. Apollos had a knowledge of the scriptures and he was very eloquent. He could speak while Timothy struggled with discouragement and just running his own race. Barnabas had to split with Paul because of their differences. All of it, what? Are God's tools that are different. You can only use so many similar things before you have to find the one thing that fits it only. You can't use the standard wrench with a metric system bolt. You just can't do that or nut. You can't do that. You can't use a wood saw where you need to have a hacksaw. Why? Because each tool does something different. It matches the job required, right? Romans 12 and verse 3, For I say, through the grace of God given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, And uh, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So God here is talking about the ministers. Remember, we've got to keep that in context right here. He's talking about the ministers. And then he says, look, It's obvious that they're different. I made them all different. There's no two people in this room that's the same. So it would make sense that there are no two preachers or pastors that are necessarily the same. They're all different. They all have different gifts. But let her see they all have the same purpose. And that's what the focus, that's what he's trying to get them to see. Now, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers For the perfecting of the saints. That word means maturing or come to completion. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gives pastors and teachers for a threefold purpose. For the maturing or perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, the gospel of Christ, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. When those things are evident, God is at work. God is using that tool. Now, The Bible also says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, to every preacher, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So the reason I bring this up is because somewhere out there looking for the will of God is a man who has God's call to preach on his life. And through much prayer and searching for God's peace, he will be brought by the Holy Spirit of God into this place. And he'll be different. He'll be different from me in a variety of ways. He'll probably be a little better looking than I am. I'm hoping that he'll be a little younger than I am. <laughs> and, and, and 
And, and, and the fact is, by God's grace, by God's grace, he'll be used to build on the foundation that I have laid in your life through the word of God. That's the goal. It's not a competition. It's a cooperation. It's a correlation of God working all things different for the glory of God, to his good, to our good, because we love him. In that, though we are different, God will use us both for the same purpose. Why? To build you up, to mature you. The more you hear the word of God, the more your faith should increase so that you could actually sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. How could we possibly sing standing on the promises and neglect tis so sweet to trust? Right? So as I have labored and I have put down the foundation, what does God want to do? Build on that foundation. He wants to use us both for the same purpose, to build you up and to mature you in Christ. Ministers, listen, are just tools. They're just tools. As a pastor, you can never say, well, I'm a jack of all trades. My dad used to say, Kyle, you're the jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) You tried everything, you're not good at any one thing. You just dabble here and all over there. Um, But God is the master of them all. He is the master tradesman. He knows exactly what needs to happen in your life. He knows exactly collectively what needs to happen in this church. And by God's grace, he will use that difference. But the ministers who serve here, no matter who we are, we're just tools. In essence, letter D, the Bible teaches us that we're nothing compared to God. Nothing. Look at verse 6. I have planted, Paul of, uh, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither... So verse 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth anything, but God is everything. It's God that giveth the increase. Now listen, this church was in complete disarray. Go back and read it. Listen to the language of the first two chapters and the building up to the punch right in the mouth when he says, you guys are carnal. And here's why. It's being manifested in the fact that you're just divided up over preachers and personalities and, and that's a problem. This church was in disarray. There were divisions, not just one, but many. All because they were making, listen, too much of a particular man instead of making making much of God. Notice what they were saying. Verse 4, for while one saith, I'm a Paul. The other one says, well, I'm a Paulus. Are you not carnal? He calls them right onto the rug. At the end of the chapter, you find out Peter's thrown in the mix. So the fact of the matter is, There is no flesh that's supposed to glory in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. That's who matters. Who God, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Nobody in that church was glorying in the Lord. They were glorying in a man. They were putting all the credit, all the value, all the hope, all the expectation on a man. And God said, wait a minute. The guy that digs the ditch is nothing. The guy that plants the seed is nothing. The guy guy that waters is nothing when you compare it to God. Doesn't mean that they don't matter. It just means what matters the most is the man behind the man. The God man that's using that tool for the glory of God. When Jesus Christ is the most important person in the church, people have no problem coming together. I'll say that again. 
When Jesus Christ is the most important person in the church, people don't have a problem coming together. When he's the most important person in the church, people don't have a problem praying together. They don't have a problem worshiping together. When Christ is preeminent in the temple of God, people don't have a problem caring together. And they don't have a problem serving together. As the temple of God comes into view, it's very clear that God reminds us that we are not our own. (laughs) We belong to God. It's clear how He expects us to live. Then He reminds us that ministers are just tools. We're just tools in the hands of an eternal Eternally creative God who is at work building up people and bringing them together for a specific purpose. Number three, the third image that comes into clear view is the people. And the people are the building. The building. Ye are God's building. Now, if you've been around here long enough, you know that the church is not a location. It's not brick and mortar or drywall and paint. The church... Is an assembly of baptized believers who come together to remember the Lord's death and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ until he comes. That is the most concise definition I've ever written about the church. The church is an assembly of baptized believers who come together to remember the Lord's death and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ until he comes. The church comes together for encouragement. The church comes together to be strengthened in our faith so that we can live that faith once we leave. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10, just briefly. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be back in a moment. I just want to lay this groundwork before I go any farther here, because we're almost almost done. Hebrews chapter 10. If you go to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you're too far. If you hit James, you were close. You've got to go back to the left one. If you're Revelation, just do a U-turn. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I want you to keep the context of what we've been talking about for the last several minutes and why we assemble. Why do we come together? Why is that so important? Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. So that's a goal. Would you say that? Would you agree with me? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let's, let's not be weary in well-doing. Let's make sure we stay strong in the faith. Is that a stretch? No, that, that's accurate. Okay. For he, that is God, is faithful that promised. So now we have the reason. We should be faithful because he's faithful. He promised us. We have that. Now look at verse 24. And then let's consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Did you see the word together? Did you see the context? Be strong in the faith. Don't be weary. Hold fast. Okay? Encourage one another, but you can't do it if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together. God says, look, I want to bring this into view. You can't be together apart. You can't be what you are by definition alone. I don't care what new form of churches there are out there. I just read this last week of an internet church. And I was saying, I'm sorry, what? 
an internet church. I, we're starting this platform. This is, this is the mission statement. I'm going to paraphrase. So that when you and your friends go out into the countryside, you can use our material to experience God in the outdoors with your friends the way you are. And if you sign up now, you can be a part of this virtual assembly. What? What have we come to when we decide to take the book, throw it aside, and say, we can be together apart? No, you can't. Are are you out of your mind? Have you lost the fact that Jesus died for people, and that encouragement comes from people, and that God uses people in your life only when they're present? You and I both know it's not the same. Look into that camera. It's not the same. Why? Because God ordained it to be thus. He said, I have given my life for the assembly of called out believers who've been baptized in my name that come to remember me to make me the most important, not the minister or the man, so that I could use them. They're my temple. The last thing that comes into view in this passage is the fact that God not only cares about, listen, quantity when it comes to the structure built on the foundation of Christ, but he also cares about quality. I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says, for other, verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of every Bible-believing church. Now, you're going to go to a lot of other churches where the foundation is Mary or the Pope or somebody else, some figurine or some saint or some something else or some mechanism of religion. But Bible Christianity is founded in Jesus Christ. Amen. Period. Okay? The Bible says no other foundation. Verse 12. Now, if any man build on this foundation, I want you to see gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it. Now watch. Look up here. He's not talking about Apollos and Paul anymore. He switched. Why? Because he's already said, he's getting ready to say, you're the temple. What's the temple? The superstructure laid on the foundation of Jesus. Remember what he said, ye are God's building. We're just the master builders. Ye are God's building. Now I want you to follow this. I'm going to get a little long in the tooth explaining this, but I'm hoping when I'm done, it will be crystal clear. Okay? D.L. Moody used to say that converts should be weighed and counted. They should be weighed and counted. What does that mean? Well, there could be not a whole lot of us, but the quality of the people who are here outweighs the many. Get it? So the character matters to God just as much as the counting or the quantity as it matters to God. It's a serious thing to be a part of God's building. Very serious. He was very explicit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 tell us that we're the temple of God, and he warns us that if we destroy or defile that by using cheap materials, God will destroy us. Now watch. This does not mean eternal condemnation. Of course it doesn't. Because verse 15 says that he himself shall be saved, right? So we believe in the eternal security of God. But the fact of the matter is, God cares about the materials that go into his building. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. Letter A, God's temple must be built with the right materials. 
Verse 12, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, all right? Now, I want you to notice the contrast in these, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. You see those? There's three, three opposites, the permanent versus the passing, the beautiful versus the ordinary or even ugly, okay? The valuable versus the cheap, the hard to obtain versus the easy to obtain. So he sets them aside. I want you to see this. What did Paul want to symbolize by using these materials? He's not talking about people because Christians are the living stones that make up God's temple. Listen, I personally believe Paul is referring to the doctrines of the Word of God. Now follow me. In each section of this chapter, the Word is symbolized in a way that fits the image of, uh, that fits the image of the church Paul used. The Word is food for the family, it's seed for the field, and it's materials for the temple. Listen just for a minute how the Bible presents the wisdom of the Word of God as treasures to be sought, protected, and invested in in daily life. Listen, Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of, oh, silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Oh, she's more precious than rubies, and all things thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 10, receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge uh, rather than gold for wisdom is better than rubies and all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So when we read this gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, he's saying, listen, some of you are not building with the right materials. You're building with that which is common. By the way, carnality is common. The flesh is easy to find. It's everywhere. It's easy to have an opinion, and my opinion trumps your opinion. My opinion's better than yours. No, it's not. It's just different. And as long as it differs from God's opinion, neither of us are right. So God says, I want you to get the right materials. Letter A, God's temple must be built with the right materials. Letter B, we, as God's building, build into the church what we build into our lives. You and I build into the church, the temple of God, which is the church of the living God. We build into that building what we build into our lives. The Corinthians were trying to build their church by man's wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and when they should have been trying to depend on the wisdom of God as is found in his word. Now, let me just ask you briefly, are you building into your life God's wisdom or your own understanding of things? Are you building into your life? Because To be a part of a Bible-believing church who wants to serve the living King, the Lord Jesus Christ, that church is the temple of God. And that superstructure laid on the foundation of your salvation in Jesus Christ is supposed to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Because wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn in the end. That is, there's no value to it. It means nothing to the kingdom of God. Didn't say you don't mean anything It just means what you're bringing into the church doesn't survive. It means nothing in the long run when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at his Bema seat if I am just trying to have my own way. Lord, have my own way. I want to be the potter and I want to be the clay. We could change all those Christian songs that we sing to make them what we really do think of of our own heart and in our own heart. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, 
But he that received the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, sixty and thirty. It was veteran missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, that used to say, and I quote, the work will never go deeper than we have gone ourselves. So how deep is the work going? What are you building on? What's the material that you're using to build into your life? So we end up tearing down our own lives if we fail to build the church. I'm I'm sorry. We end up tearing down our own lives if we fail to build into the church the values that are going to last. Not only do we ruin our own life, but we defile the temple of God. See, somehow in our mind, we, we have it that it doesn't really matter to the church what I do with my own life. It does if you belong to the church. If you don't belong to the church, it's your own life. But if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ here in this place, it matters. Everything that you are building in your life matters to the body here. And by the way, it should matter to all of you. Every one of you, it should matter. Is this temple holy or is it unholy? Are you just building your life on things that are common, things that can be found on street corners or on internet sites or on emails or on some app somewhere? Or are you building on the word of God? Because letter C, carnal Christianity defiles the church of God and destroys a life. Carnal Christianity defiles the church of God and destroys a life. Romans 8 and verse 5, for they that are, they that are, I'm sorry, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. What are you after? See what it says? For they that are after the flesh. What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing a payday? Are you pursuing some nirvana? My son said to me the other day, Dad, what, what, what is this certain uh, religion belief? We sold our, our property to the Buddhists over here on Yagasan Hill. Many of you remember that. And I said, well, from all I get gained, the end is what they call nirvana. And, and I do know a little bit about their doctrine, but, but that's the end. They believe in reincarnation, which I don't really understand. So if I'm the highest form of anything on the planet as a human, and I die, and I come back to be a bug or an iguana or a skunk or a possum or a, God forbid, I should be a cat or a dog or something like that. But if I, if I, how is it that I'm digressing because I didn't do well, and hopefully I do enough well until I can become a man again? Or not even that, I can just transcend it all, and I get to the relief of nirvana. That's the pursuit of a lot of people. They're following after something that's mythical and they're being lied to. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Listen, for to be carnally minded is death. What did he say in chapter 3 and verse 1? Ye are yet carnal. I wanted to speak to you spiritual, but you're still acting carnal. And the Bible says that the carnally minded is death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen, you need to decide now, not later, whether this church is going to be carnal or spiritual. You've got to decide it. I can't make that decision for you. For 18 years, I have tried my best to say, listen, there's a better way. It's God's way. Don't be carnal. Be spiritual. But pretty soon, it's going to be someone else. And if you haven't made the decision yourself, you will never make it. You've got to decide, do I want to live or do I want to die? 
Because living outside of the will of God might as well be death. Amen. Every church and every Christian has to fight against carnality. You know that. I know that. We have to fight against it. We know it's natural. Every man is drawn away when he is tempted of his own lust. Sin lives in us. But according to Romans 6, it doesn't have to rule. We have the victory over that when we decide, Lord, I am yours. And I'm yielding myself. Every church and every Christian has to fight against Christianity, uh, I mean, uh, against carnality. The fleshly mindset of me or us is that spirit of carnality. That's all through this passage. Every church and every Christian must pursue a life of spiritually minded, uh, of spiritual mindedness and looking unto Jesus, yielded to his Holy Spirit and the putting off of the flesh. You all know this. This is Ephesians 4. Or the church, if not, will be built with wrong materials. You can fill this place. There are 225 black padded chairs that we bought years ago. You could fill it. And they could be full of wood, hay, and stubble. Now I want to ask you a question. Which would you rather have? I'll tell you which I'd rather have. I'd rather have 50 gold, silver, and precious stones any day than 5,000 wood, hay, and stubbles. Do you know why? Because God values gold, silver, and precious stone because he values his word. Am I building into my life that which comes from the wisdom of God? So from this point forward in your existence as a church, as the temple of God, I don't want you to think of yourself. And you're going to have to fight that. You're going to have to fight it every day. I don't want you to think of yourself. I want you to concentrate on Jesus. Especially when you're together. And I want to give you a few, I want you to consider a few things. We're going to apply this and then we're going to leave. Let me make application here several ways. Number one, and I want you to write these down. I want you to write them at the end of your, at your outline. Write these words down. Number one, work at making your life holy. Work at it. Remember, laboring together. The word labor is work. How many would say, Pastor, if, I'm, if my life's going to be holy, it's going to be some hard work. My hand's up. Amen. If my life's going to be holy before God, it's going to be hard work. Okay, good. Work at making your life holy. What's that mean? Confess the sin. Just tell the truth about it. God, I'm living in sin. Just get it out. It'll be okay. You know why? Because God loves you regardless. And he's ready to forgive you. Just confess it. And clean out your heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Work at making your life holy. Number two, labor together, labor together at making God's house holy. Labor together at making God's house holy. Now, I'm not trying to be tricky, but the first way you do that is by number one. The first way you work at making God's house holy is to make your own heart holy. But every individual taking ownership of that works together to make the whole church holy. Right? Holy individuals make for a holy assembly. Strong Christians make for a strong assembly. You get it. Number three, labor together 
labor together at making Jesus Christ the most important person in the church. Labor together at making Jesus Christ the most important person in the church and worship him alone. Don't worship the man. Labor together at making Jesus Christ the most important person in the church and worship him alone. These individuals became worshipers of men. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I will not share my glory with any. I am God. Beside me there is none else. Have I not told you? Labor together at making Jesus Christ the most important person in the church and worship him alone. Number four, and we're done. Labor together for unity. What is Paul's end run here at the very beginning? Man, you guys are not together. You're apart. Oh, you're assembled in the same room. You're at the same place. You're at the same preaching house. But man alive, if you've ever, you you don't know what together means at all. You're all divided and it's because you're carnally minded. So endeavor, endeavor together for unity. Ephesians 4, you can write this phrase, write this reference down there. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You cannot walk worthy of being a Christian without walking humbly together with brothers and sisters. You cannot. You do not, you do not, you cannot represent the Lord Jesus Christ and his temple when you're not assembled together. And even if you are assembled together, you can't represent him right if you're not in unity. Labor together for unity. This is gonna be key in the journey going forward by faith for all of us. Let's have a word of prayer.